All right. How are you guys? Ready to sit with some anxiety? It's like drilling teeth, right? When Barbara originally asked me to uh, give a talk, this is our third year now, I was like, what do you want to talk about? She said, pick a topic. And I said, let's do it under control freaks. I said, control freaks unite. And she was like, no. Nah. I was like, okay, anxiety. And she was like, okay. Anxiety is one of those things. Actually, I don't want to talk too much in the beginning, but I will just a little bit just to set it up. I actually want to see what your experience of anxiety is. Does everybody here feel anxiety on a daily level? Yeah. Everyone? Yeah. Everyone? Yes. Fantastic. It's like, no, you realize I've been a clinician 26, 27 years. I treat many people who actually feel they're not anxious, which is phenomenal. People actually are so checked out and their defense mechanisms are so strong that they don't ever feel anxiety. But they're chewing their teeth and drinking 30 cups of coffee and watching porn and having affairs, but they're not anxious. <laughs> so the fact that you all have this awareness that you all nod your heads, it's a big thing. I mean, be aware of it. In our culture, it's become a neurotic, medicated behavior. So the first thing I want to say to you that anxiety is just a part of life. It's a part of being these meat suits. On one level, we can be divine, we can be gods. On one level, we all know that we're food for the worms. It's a very difficult thing to hold. Then you live in a culture like ours that actually does not at all make room for anxiety. Where we're so numb. And that's actually become world culture. It's amazing. I was in West Africa two weeks ago. Four days in a desert on a dirt bike with a bunch of people I didn't know. You got Europeans there. You got West Africans, a couple of Yankees, myself included. You're in the middle of nowhere. Four days in. You've been riding 10 hours. I mean, you're dead, dead, dead tired. You're bruised. You're blah, blah. I go out for a little walk in the desert. I come back and I'm looking. You stay in these tents, these bivouacs. It looks like this crazy glow. And I'm like, what kind of weird oil lamp is that? I walk up to it, every single person in that tent, from the racers to the support team, was on a, some kind of device. Oh my goodness. This is at like 9 at night. You've been like, haven't showered, haven't eaten. I mean, wiped out. That's the level of anxiety. So it's not even just our culture anymore. And the anxiety thing is a global thing. It's not just because we're Americans or we're so stressed out. It's this abject terror of death, which we all have, that's totally denied in this culture. So how do we deal with death in this culture, right? I've said this to you before. We put makeup on people. We put us in a dress or in a suit. We don't deal with death too well. But that's become global. So to walk up to this tent and watch all these men just doing this and... It wasn't a matter of who had money. Some of these people are like truck drivers. It's not like it cost a fortune to have a cell phone in Senegal. Everybody had it. When I work as a practitioner, the first time I treat someone, pretty much every person comes in sitting like this. The feet are kind of rolled under. They're in that fight or flight mode. They're ready to run. They're ready to go. They're not even aware of it. So you pull people back and already it's like, oh. But we think that we can shift that. All we can shift, which is our intent tonight, is start a dialogue with your anxiety. Shift your relationship with anxiety. For some of us, it's so intense that we're medicated, right? So in this country, I think it was 1956, Milltown, New Jersey. 
the first anti-anxiety medication came out. Mother's Little Helper, Stone Song. That was actually the first anti-anxiety medication. One of the fastest growing drugs, and it wasn't, you couldn't advertise like you can now because the FDA wasn't bought and paid for by the pharmaceutical industry, so you actually couldn't advertise. Overnight, this drug became a profound seller. Why? Because we're all anxious. And now it's like on a next level. And it's not just these drugs, right? Walk to Whole Foods and watch all the calmatives, hops, blah, blah, blah. So it's like across the board. We can shift this and make it more comfortable by actually sitting with it on a daily level. How many of you have a regular meditation practice? For the rest of us that do or don't, the don't part is anxiety. It's the only reason. Because it actually starts this relationship with anxiety. Observe yourself. So the thing that we're going to do right now, I'm going to actually have you sit. We're going to sit for five minutes. I've got my little timer here. Do whatever you normally do. And see if you can locate the anxiety in your body. For those of you that don't have a regular meditation practice, drop your breathing down into your belly and just be aware of your belly. Is that clear? Good? Great. After that, I'm going to show you some different postural things that might or might not help. Five minutes.
Don't change your posture, but open your eyes and come into the room. How did that feel? Where did you find the anxiety? Don't all speak at the same time. Where did you feel the anxiety? Your chest. Your chest? Brain, up here. Anybody else? Where did you feel anxiety? Shoulders. Hands? Hands. Brain. Brain. Huh? Your back? It's really important to catch these things where you're holding this. And I'll explain to you why in a second. Hips. Brain and shortness of breath. Mm, The shortness of breath is a big one. Back. Knees. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a big one there. That third chakra. Chest. Back. Lower or upper? That's usually adrenal stuff. Anybody else? Stomach. It's a big one. The stomach is actually the original brain, which is why we hold a lot of tension in it. When we talk about a gut feeling, you have the same neuropeptides in your gut, that was the original brain before this brain was formed, which is why we take a lot of these emotional hits in our gut. Uh, neck and control. Mm. Control freaks unite. That's all of us. <laughs> That's every single one of us. That's like, if I just needle people in their jaw, half the people would probably get better. Because that, that thing, that's that holding that we do. You know, anal retentive, everything goes up. Now here's an interesting thing. From an energetic perspective, I was going to say Chinese, but it's energetic. The monkey brain, when we get attacked, when we're in these animal bodies, is to go up and out. Right? If someone scares you, what do you do? <gasps> Breathing gets shallow, and we actually physically go up. So part of having a different relationship with anxiety is to train yourself in a non-stressful environment to go down and in. You follow what I'm saying? Right? Somebody makes a sudden sound, what happens? We go up. The reason a lot of this energy is up in the head is because that's the first way we disconnect from our bodies when we feel unsafe. Children breathe abdominally, ages of two to four, depending how crazy their surrounding is. And they stop that abdominal breathing when they become a societal, a biological being from an organism. So when you see little kids, I'm sure you all have, the breathing is all down here. Most of us right now are up here. So it's the first way we commit suicide. It's the first way that we disconnect from this anxiety feeling. There is some idea in spiritual circles that we can bypass this anxiety. It's actually not true. We just have a different relationship with it. In order to have a different relationship with it, you actually have to have a relationship with it. The fact that all of us wake up, from the second we wake up, we go. Right? The fact that you go to the beach... And you see someone with three magazines, an iPod, blah, 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 blah. It really is uncomfortable. But once you actually confront it, and that's too strong a word, once you sit with it, it gets much softer. Most of what we're attempting, including spiritual practices, is to shove this stuff away. Obviously, if you have a martial arts practice or a yoga practice, it will calm your nervous system down. That does not mean that you still have a relationship with your anxiety. Separate thing. Make sense? So, 
we all try to trick this death piece by some kind of mechanism. The fact that we're going to die. Now, I know I sound like Uncle Fester. My intention here isn't to be heavy. The intention here is to live fully. I've watched a lot of people die. I still do. It's a part of the curse of my job. It's a part of the gift of my job. And you see people die the way they live. I was just working with this 33-year-old man. A couple of weeks, a month or two left. Impeccable. I mean, beautiful. Not in some heroic bullshit. Just so engaged with life. Sucks. He doesn't want to die. But he's facing it. Just soft. We are so hard in ourselves. Even though we might be soft externally and smiling. This whole spiritual thing that drives me batty. <laughs> Inside we're like... So to your point of the jaw being tied, that's all of us. Because that's where we control everything. Everything goes up. So now, I want to show you a couple of things that might be helpful for you. One of the things that's really important, I was watching your necks. If your head is tilted forward, it actually will make you very cerebral when you're meditating. So this thing that a lot of us do, and we do it, that's sticking your neck out. In English, we actually say sticking your neck out. This literally makes you lose your center. So I'm not a yogi, but I'm sure those of you who are yogis, you cannot do your asanas properly if you're not aligned. As a martial artist, this is like the most dangerous thing you can do because your neck will be handed to you. But also at the same time, if it's too far backwards, it blocks the energy. So it's that sort of relaxed. The Chinese talk about it like a string, like a marionette holding a string, holding a marionette down. It's that sort of Alexander technique thing, if those of you have done Alexander. It's a gentle lifting from the back of your skull, but it's very gentle. It's not the Marine Corps thing, which is like another anal retentive thing. Relaxed. The other thing is a little bit of lifting right from in here. A lot of people try to open their heart. I definitely observe this with yogis, but martial artists are just as guilty. By doing this, by thrusting this part forward, it's too much effort. So this is actually very sort of sympathetic, nervous response. Can you guys see this? This sort of Marine Corps thing. That's not being open. That's pretty aggressive, actually. Let everything relax. Lift from here like you got some hooks lifting up from here. Just feel that a second. The chin is relaxed. You're lifting from the base of your skull. Feel this in here. How does that feel? It's subtle, but can you feel what happens? Can you feel how the energy drops down a little bit? You guys looking at me like I'm crazy? Do, 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 you feel, do people feel this? So two things. Boom, boom. The softening in the belly. So a lot of us hold a lot of tension in our stomach. It's a holding. It's a pulling in and upwards. That actually really affects the digestive system, obviously, adversely. But it's this third chakra contraction. So some people have solar plexus, some people will be lower. Softening that. You don't have to push it out, but relax it. Three points. Most of us that I observe pinch our butt. And we actually pinch the anus. And I've talked about this before. The reason for this is, it's not just the anus, because the anus can't, the muscles aren't developed to pretty late in childhood. So what ends up happening is when we're feeling out of control, which all of us do, we pinch our butt. It's the only thing you can control at that age is your shit. For some of us in our 50s, it's still the only thing you can control, like myself. But for most of us, that's what it is. We pinch our butt. So that butt pinching is actually a common thing. The problem with that is it also shoves the energy up. When you pinch your butt, just do that. Pinch your butt, see what happens to your thinking. So align those things, see what happens when you pinch your butt. The breathing right away gets stagnant. And feel what happens to your spine. 
feel that? So relax the butt. Relax the butt muscles as well as the anal sphincter. I should be more verbal with that. We've got this up here, base of the skull. Jaws relaxed, throat's open. Chin a little bit in, not too far out. Lifting right through here from the clavicles. Stomach's relaxed. Butt's relaxed. And now without shifting anything, just feel that. We're going to actually sit with that, but I want you to just feel how that feels different. So don't put too much effort into it. I don't want you to throw your backs out because you can actually use too much muscle. The last piece of this pretty cool thing, which actually this part I didn't come up with, this is internal martial arts. I don't know if you're familiar with martial arts. There's external martial arts, which is a lot of muscles. There's internal martial arts, which is Bagua, Taiji, Shingi. And you got these old men and women, 80 years old, kicking the shit out of 20-year-olds. And it's pretty impressive because it's not muscular involvement because you definitely don't have the same muscle as a 70-year-old. Part of it is alignment, structure of everything we talked about. Part of it is energetic coherence. Probably take me 10 years to explain it to you. I've been doing this stuff for 35 years. I still don't understand it. But a big part of all these forms is pointing with the index finger. Taiji, Bagua, Shingi. It's always the index finger points. So if you're interested in this, this guy Rick Barrett, which is a martial arts buddy of mine, came up with this thing in his classes. We all do it without being aware of it as internal martial artists. But one thing that he sort of realized was if you actually start doing that at daily intervals in meditation, it makes your energetic body coherent. My sense of it is, because since we were very little, we point at things. It's the first thing that we do. So that's how we become coherent, right? So if you see a child, nine months, they start pointing before verbal. So my sense is we actually become coherent by pointing. That's my sense of it. Might be right, might be wrong. But it's a pretty cool thing when you're feeling a little bit stirred up. It just makes it more comfortable. So just feel that for a second. You can put your, everything is relaxed. You're just pointing. It's not too stiff, but it's an intention on it. Feel what? Yep. You can do it that way. That way, we'll see what feels comfortable. That way, see what feels comfortable. Feel the energy in the room. Can you guys feel what happened right now? Now remember, we're trying to still feel the anxiety. Don't go into bliss land, which is <laughs> part of very easy to do. Bliss land is like what spiritual people, we're very good at that. We're junkies. You have to have a relationship with this stuff. Because when death comes knocking on your door, it's your relationship with this stuff, your relationship with this stuff, that actually allows that transit. But it's also with life. In my experience, 26 years, 27 years, thousands of people, most people aren't here. 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 So the intention of this stuff is not just to reach some nirvana is to be here fully, really enjoy it. Really enjoy it. Remember that most of us come to spirituality because of pain. And spiritual people aren't the happiest people. I certainly haven't been. And you can have this awakening experience and still be like miserable. <laughs> you, can, you can have an understanding. I mean, for myself, I'm sure a lot of you here, you've had these experiences. It's very like wonderful because you're not freaked out anymore. Oh, we're one. But like, it's not really joyful. There are people, you know, people are really joyful. I certainly wasn't one of them. I'm working hard at being one. But there's some, some people are just really joyful. That's a lovely thing, don't you think? 
They used to piss me off because I couldn't do it. <laughs> right? For a lot of us here, we can, we can do that. A lot of people in this room, I feel that kind of sweet New York addictive energy. Like, if you weren't a junkie, you work 16 hours a day. If you weren't doing that, you smoked or you do yoga and you hit these things and 10 days Zen sits and rah! <laughs> Not quite talking about that. Talking about a softer energy. So again, the intention here is to be soft, but in a joyful way. And I'm not one of these blissed out idiots. I mean, I wish I was, but that sort of was never my experience of it. So the one thing that trips us constantly is this anxiety. And again, it's seen as a neurotic impulse. It's not. Definitely for some people, it's so out of control that they can't function. I'm not against medication there. But if you start changing your relationship with it, it does calm you down in a different way. So what it takes is maybe for some of you it's going to be too much to sit down 20 minutes. It's taken me literally 30 some years to have a regular 20 minute a day practice. To actually get up no matter what and sit. And the crazy thing is I can't always access that anxiety in that 20 minutes. I can sometimes access it just when I wake up. And I just chase it. And it'll disappear. Sometimes in the middle of the day. So it's more of an unconscious thing. But the more you sort of look for it and have a relationship with it, your life will get a lot easier. The other part of this anxiety thing is that we mask this fear of death, which we all have, by sort of this heroic thing. The heroic thing is, and we'll talk about it later, making money, want to make an impact, want to save everyone, want to become enlightened. It's some crazy heroic journey because it's just not good enough. Just us sitting here is not good enough. We need some event. Like process does not, it's not an English language, certainly not an American language, right? Event. Process brings up anxiety. That's what we're so. So now, we're going to sit for 10 minutes with this, and I'll just guide you through it as we sit, and just see what your experience is. Try to remember where your anxiety was. Try to remember where you were holding it and see what happens. And I'll guide you through the different parameters here. Keep pointing? Yeah, we'll go through it. I'll go through it piece by piece. One last thing here. One of the ways that we deal with this anxiety is by, and this is really the spiritual world, right? Whenever you talk about enlightenment or like God, let's say if you're a good Christian or Muslim, what do people do? Where do they point? Point up. Right? People talk about enlightenment. They point up. We don't trust here. We don't trust earth. Right? The divine feminine. We don't give a fuck about the divine feminine. It's about the masculine principle. Man or woman. So, this going up and out, which I see, I I don't know about right now, but I remember in, in the 80s, it was a big thing with these spiritual books, like meditations, and you work up the chakras. The whole thing was like, let's get the hell out of this body. Because that's a part of that monkey mind. You want to get out. I used to work with these chronic pain people back in the day. Like serious chronic pain where nothing had helped. Surgery hadn't helped. Medication wouldn't help. With biofeedback equipment. The only thing that helped these people was if you got them to come in their body. Which is very counterintuitive. You think you're in a lot of pain. You want to escape and go out. If you actually got people to start feeling their bodies, their pain level would come down. It's very counterintuitive, this stuff. Because we live in a culture of addiction. So everything's trained to go up. But the other part is everything's trained to go out. Right? So we're so externally focused. So a nice piece to practice with 
Listen to the sounds while staying in your body and actually work your way down. So I'm going to go through this thing together, but I want to point out to you the reason I'm going to go through it is because I want you to come down to your body. Again, the awareness guides the energy. Where your awareness is where the energy flows. All of us are constantly thinking. Besides the fact that physiologically this constant thinking is devastating on the body, because the body cannot differentiate between thought and reality, that's a given scientific fact. When you're up here all the time, your body is not getting the energy flow. The money's staying up here. It's like Wall Street. You got 1%, it's got all the bucks, freaking everyone's like starving. So you want to spread the goodness, you want to spread the wealth, otherwise you're going to have a revolution. Which is sort of your liver saying, what up? <laughs> your stomach saying, what up? Feeling your body's profound stuff. If I say to you, try to relax, oxymoron, nobody in this room can try to relax. The thing with these chronic pain patients, when you hook them up to these biofeedback instruments, if you got them to feel their body, their body would go into relaxation. This is like, it drives me crazy when people always try to relax. They try to stop doing drugs. Try to stop smoking. It's like, it doesn't work. Feel your body, boom, it drops. Okay? So we're working on in and down. And I'll guide you through all this stuff. You don't have to remember it. Start by relaxing your jaw. Remember that you want the chin not too far forward, not shoved back like the Marines, in the middle. Be aware of the sounds outside. traffic, the voices, and you can leave a little bit of awareness there, but not the whole thing. Keeping some awareness on the sounds, relaxing the jaw, lifting from the base of the skull, and as you lift from the base of the skull, make sure that your lower body doesn't tense up. Then lift from your clavicles here, the chest, the front, below the Adam's apple, just gently pulling it up, letting your chest open. So we got the sounds, the jaw, 
base of a skull. The chest. And now we come down and we gently point with the index fingers. And just experiment with where your hands are comfortable if you gently point. Are the wrists down? On the knees comfortable? Do you want to put your hands on top of each other? Palms up and point. Soften the belly. And now we're coming down. Relax the butt muscles and the anus. Make sure your lower legs, your calves, shin bones, your feet are all relaxed. And just play around very gently, moving your spine and your whole upper body a little bit forward, an inch or two, and a little bit backwards. See where is most comfortable, where does the mind get most ease.
Stay where you are. You can open your eyes. I'm going to go through that list again and check with your body. See where it is. Your head hanging from a string. Chin down. Some of you, your chins are a little too far out. Some of you are too far in. The tendency as we start thinking during meditation is the head goes out. So that's a good thing to remember because we're thinking. Keep that there. Lifting from here. I'm be- and beautiful. I mean, everyone's really holding it. Feel the energy in your hands right now, by the way, before you lose it. Can you feel that sensation in your hands? Right? That's the parasympathetic nervous system response. Sympathetic nervous response. If you ever notice when you're stressed out, your hands are cold or they're sweaty. People have that experience? That's from being an animal. When you get attacked, breathing gets shallow, all the blood goes into the muscles, and in case you get bit, you don't bleed to death. That's where your hands get cold. So everything is ready for fight or flight. Anytime your hands are wet or cold, your immune system is not functioning. The reason for that is the immune system is a long-term survival mechanism. So when you're in that stage, your immune system is shutting down. The body doesn't understand that you listen to your iPod and you almost got run over. The body's thinking, we're going to die. If you're going to die, you don't need an immune system. So a lot of these issues, if you're having colds regularly, if you're having certain issues, obviously diet and all that, but stress, it's not stress that affects us, it's our relationship to stress. That's not really made clear in our culture. You're not going to be without stress. Right? You've got too much money, you're worried about losing it. You don't have enough money, you can't pay your rent. Everyone's stressed. It's... But you can react to it differently. Part of the stuff that we're talking about is having a different relationship to stress. Okay, so I actually would like to next go around with your permission. Come and actually correct your uh, postures a little bit if you want. Otherwise, pay attention. Some of you are doing this a bit, neck too far forward, anxiety. Some of you are doing this, control. Neither one of those allows energy flow. Okay, what was your experience with that compared to what you're doing before? Again, don't talk all at the same time. Pardon? Calming. Calming. You feel the energy down a little bit. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. So, in Chinese medicine, martial arts, your body center is actually in your navel. It's below your navel. Um, I've talked about this before. I think in one of the meditations, one of my favorite pictures is these two American GIs that had held a Japanese pilot prisoner during World War II. And the Japanese guy was definitely a martial artist, and he's like four foot three, like five foot two or something. And the American guys are just like built brick shit house. Their bellies are in and they're up, and they're huge, like six foot something guys. And this guy who was so little, his belly was so round. I mean, he could have just eaten these guys because he was here, and these guys had no root, which is very common in our culture. I don't know if you notice, if ever, I watch people all the time, you try to open a door, and the door is strong and you get pulled forward. You ever have that experience? That's because you're not in your internal body. You're not in your lower body. Everything is upper body. So if ever you're in that experience, slow down. Don't try to rush out the door. Drop your energy down. And what that means is just from here, feel your lower body. Feel what that feels like to open a door. What about, you've gone to the belly, what about from the you can keep going down feet down lower in internal martial arts 
30 specific exercises you do where you actually send your energy below the ground. So we can actually do that next. You can do it through your spine or you can actually do it through the bottom of your feet. So this energy stuff can actually be projected. We project it unconsciously all the time. Sexual desire, that's a big projection. And we project it out. Anger, it's a projection. But it's unconscious. So it's about in and down. But you can keep going down, it's infinite. You can stand, there are these exercises in somebody's internal arts where you push someone, try to push someone over gently, it doesn't have to be hard. You stand with someone who's the same size as you. You feel your feet, you have them feel their head. They'll go right over. You have them bring their awareness to their belly, it'll be harder to push them. They'll go to their awareness to their feet, you can't push them. They bring their awareness below the feet, they'll push you. It's, this stuff's real, it's not, that energy is very real, right? So I always talk about this. I mean, we're perceiving less than 5% of electromagnetic phenomena, which means we're deaf, deaf, dumb, and blind. I mean, and we think we're so figured it out. We are constantly blind to everything, right? I mean, these senses pick up less than 5% of what's around you. Uh huh. And so I find the silent meditation really challenging. Sure, that's, that's brutal. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah, anything that basically locks your psyche in is fine. Tinnitus is really difficult. I mean, it's very difficult to... I've, I've had it, so I know it's very difficult to meditate with that. The other thing about tinnitus is understand from an energetic perspective, is energy rising. So the grounding work with tinnitus is really helpful. But definitely use some sound, because it it's very hard to have relaxed awareness around it. And tinnitus in sort of Chinese medicine is very, unless you've been around loud sounds where you have ear damage, nerve damage, it's very much connected to adrenal exhaustion. The Chinese call it fire rising. Adrenals, when they get overworked, you get very hot, you get very dry. I'm sure you've all had the experience. That can be a part of it. So working on feeling the lower body is very helpful with that. But there is no right or wrong. It's about just grounding awareness in the moment. That's the basic function of meditation from my perspective. Well, how do you kind of really know you're really feeling the lower body? Because when I think I'm feeling it, then I'm suddenly thinking about it mm. as if looking at it from the outside. Fantastic. So I, I'm trying to think of how am I seeing it. Great question. So the question is, how do I know I'm actually feeling it than thinking about it? Close your eyes. You don't have to sit. Just sit the way you're sitting. Just close your eyes. Multiply 23 by 3. Subtract 6. Add 2. Where's your awareness of your body? Okay, now, eyes closed. Feel your hands on your legs. Immediately, you all took a breath, most of you. Did you notice that? That's your body mind taking over. When you jackass, stop thinking. <laughs> Feel your butt on the cushion, on the mat. If you have any piece of jewelry on, feel that. Necklace, rings. Earrings. How does that feel? 
Thinking, feeling. Two distinctly different sensations. But that's a great question because many people actually think and then they think that they're actually feeling. So the interesting thing with this stuff is biofeedback equipment. You can hook people up to them. I've said this to you, some of you who've done meditation with me before, for years. So I used to be a big Zen student until I took the stick out of my ass. I used to be a real big Zen student. And I would bring my Zen buddies in or martial artists and hook them up to the EEG stuff. They weren't meditating. They were thinking about meditating. But they actually weren't meditating. The one thing that I actually found, this body center stuff that I'm talking about, what I found is if people felt their body, automatically they would go into that alpha state. Beta, thinking. Alpha, meditation, theta, in between sleeping. So you can get these, you can actually do biofeedback. I think it's amazing if you're really interested in meditation. But literally feeling your body produces it. And check your hands. Your hands actually get fuller, they get drier, they get warmer. These are just signs that you know you're in that relaxation response, which is parasympathetic. Make sense? Do you see what happened when you felt your body? The body is really pretty genius when you allow it. Everybody went, because <sighs> nobody breathes. So you can try to be cognizant of it and force it. You can just allow it to do its own thing. You allow it to do its own thing by refocusing your attention. Because this thing really makes your head heavy. This constant thinking has a very high price. It's beyond neuroses. Your body can't distinguish between thought and reality. We can sit here, I can have you think about a very stressful thing, probably for most of your mothers or fathers, except for the couple that love them. God bless you, you can teach us how to do that. Um, and we can do a real-time immuno assay. So I think about the worst nightmare you ever had, a car accident, getting fired. And here's the crazy thing. Your body can't distinguish between good and bad. Right? Divorce and marriage, body has the same reaction. New job, losing a job, body has the same reaction. Your mind might really enjoy, well obviously it's better to have a new job. Your body reacts the same way. So that's the first thing. The energy goes where the awareness is, everything goes up. And we disconnect from this moment. This thing, meat suit, million years old, million and a half years old, depending on who you talk to. This thing is 200 years old, meaning your brain. I mean, you read more in a Sunday New York Times, especially on a couple of fashionistas in here, so I know you did a magazine, than people did their whole lives 150 years ago, 200 years ago. Literally, that's, that's how much things have evolved. And those of you in your 40s or 50s or 60s or 70s, I mean, you know how much has changed in the last 20 years. I mean, those of you who are in New York in the 70s and now, I mean, how much has changed in these 30 years? Our bodies aren't shifting that fast. So how do you bring this energy down, tap into it? Now, there's information here. There's one piece of this that's not just about relaxation and spiritual awareness. We're in such deep transition, I don't need to tell you, right? So you all have friends that are going through relationship issues and health issues. I mean, there's so much going on. We're so anxious because we don't pay attention to our anxiety, that we try to force things, yes or no. Should I be in this relationship, should I get out? Should I take this job, should I not take this job? Is this the right man for me, is the wrong man for me? They don't know, which is actually the third way, which is actually the fertile place that allows that question to have its answer arise, doesn't even occur to us. Because we're such control freaks, because we feel so unsafe. That make sense? 
So this don't know space is really important for this particular passage evolutionary for, as human beings. We're not in Kansas anymore. I'm not talking about 2012, bigger. Bigger, something really going on, right? I mean, you're all aware of just something going on besides all the scary stuff and all the great stuff. People are really shifting. Beautiful, lovely. But it has to be a little bit of space there. So this stuff's about being in life more, not being checked out of life more. For myself as an addict, I hit spirituality as a replacement for addiction. But then I realized that actually most people that I treated, most people that were doing that on some level, no one's like, life's great, let's go do a 10-day sit. Usually people don't do that. Usually it's like, oh, fuck, man, I've got to figure something out. I'm not dealing. Right? Hopefully it gets to a point where it's like, this is really lovely. I'm going to have a relationship with myself. Right? I mean, some of you might here really go home and buy flowers for yourself and make yourself a killer meal. More power to you. Most of us only do that for a lover. We're not in relationship with ourselves. You don't throw on your kick-ass clothes and sit down and make yourself a dinner and be like, that's a hot day. <laughs> you don't. I do. I practice that because I watch a lot of people die. Not in a narcissistic way. Because for me, as a caretaker, my whole thing was like, let me take care of the person, the other. Friend, family, lover. It's just like so weird. Like, wow, who am I? Let me put this clothes on. I'm going to make this favorite dish. I'm just going to sit down and have this experience with myself. It is so weird. <laughs> so I invite you to do that. Know yourself. Be in relationship with yourself. Two exercises that I've talked about, which I won't drag you into tonight because this is pretty intense stuff. One is the helplessness thing. And one is the death thing. So the helplessness thing is to put yourself in a situation where you feel helpless. Have a friend, a family member, a lover, probably not your parents because you'll stab them, um, feed you a couple of bites. Blindfold yourself and have somebody walk you around your room with a friend. Experience that. You realize what a control freak you are. That's connected to this because we don't want to feel helpless. That's that yes or no. We have to have an answer for everything. right? And the other part is the practice of dying, which sounds so morbid. But I can tell you, till you practice and are comfortable with the fact that you can be taken at any time, you're not going to live fully. These aren't about morbid things. These are actually about being engaged with life to realize how precious it is. I mean, those of you who've been around friends, lovers, parents who've died, you're blessed with that, as brutal as it is. Because at least for a couple of weeks anyway, the shit doesn't last because we're so neurotic. We'll go into being high speed. You start realizing how precious this whole thing is. In this moment, with or without money, with or without a lover, with or with this illness, in this moment. So again, this is about having a relationship with yourself. I really invite you after this five minutes, start five minutes a day for ten days. It changes everything of sitting and practicing. And you can do it all day long. You can't do five minutes, I hear you. A thousand times a day, put your watch on the opposite wrist. Something that just throws you off. So you can be like, oh, where's my body? Oh, yeah. Why oh, is this watch here? Oh, yeah. What do, we want to, what do we want to share? You're all in light now? What do you mean by practicing dying? Can you just sort of brief? Okay, yeah. So, one of the things that I... Let me back up. Ramana Maharshi was one of my homeboys, for sure. Very cool character. He became enlightened at age 16 where he just got this overwhelming fear of death. 
And he lay down and said, what does it feel like to die? And in that process, he had this awakening, I'm not the body, blah, 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 blah. That's something that always stayed with me. Then when I started working with, it was AIDS patients in the 80s and then cancer patients later on, watching a lot of people die, I realized we never practice dying. We're on the go all the time. A lot of cultures have certain specific slowing downs, like ayahuasca and things, which is really not the same, but it can be similar. So to practice dying is to actually lay down. When you're not tired, you're not going to fall asleep. And don't do some kind of like Hollywoody thing where the angels are coming down. Maybe there's angels, maybe there's not. Unless you have direct experience, you don't go into that place. Because that's one of the ways we cop out. Right? It's like afterlife or, you know, I don't want to be reincarnated. There's always we cop out. You lay down and you feel what it's like to die. And when you drop into it, it's, it can be really scary. It can be really sad. It can be liberating, but usually the things that come up, if you're not telling a story about it, it's pretty intense. And we live in a culture where we're constantly denied that. Right? So again, you can't live fully till you deal with this anxiety, which is very connected to the dying piece of the puzzle. In this culture, we don't touch that stuff. Some of you might have had illnesses. I know a couple of you in here that I know have had serious illnesses. And you know, you know, you run up and down. You're going to live your life differently. Man, it takes a year after that. You're just out the window. Fuck that. I'm back. So have that experience of how precious it is. How precious it is. How precious it is. Just the way it is. We don't accept ourselves. I mean, most spiritual people, you could be shooting dope. It sounds horrible to say that. It's my experience. And I've been in a lot of different circles. The Indian thing, the Chinese thing, the Zen thing. And it's very interesting because it's just like drugs. We're attracted to the drugs that are the worst thing for us. So people are like really speedy. They do coke or crystal. Like they need to be shooting dope. Chill the fuck out, bro. <laughs> people are really slow. They go towards like the slower things. They just slow themselves down. It's the same with spiritual practice. You're very anal retentive and hard and harsh. You will go to Zen. <laughs> Chill out, man. Tell a good loosey goosey, go to the loosey goosey thing. Loosey goosey, go do Zen. Don't Zen, go to Vipassana. Safana. The ego always goes towards its comfort zone. One of the things that I tell people as a spiritual practice, talking about anxiety, put yourself in situations that's not comfortable for you. Right? We're all comfortable in this spiritual environment. You're all lovely people, soft, you work on yourselves, it's easy to be here. You know, it's like I don't feel a lot of judgment around, I mean, we all do our little thing, compare us, but it's overall it's pretty cool here. Put yourself in a situation that you're not comfortable in. What is that? Black tie? Do that. Black tie is easy, go hang out with a bunch of hippies. That's easy, go see a heavy metal show. Examine who you are, because this reflection will allow you to see where you're off. Because even the coolest person, we're all guarded. And it's just about softening that, not like blowing it with a shotgun, just softening, just realize where these things are. Because it does creep on you at the time of your death. <coughs> the one thing I can tell you, you haven't observed hundreds of people, this stuff creeps up. So better to know it. Just make that transition a little bit easier. So not morbid, about joy, easy, but it's not fun. Aspects of it, till it gets easy. Questions? Comments? Yes? Yeah, I think you got a suggestion for 
Yeah. So great, great question. So one thing for the jaw is use your thumbs. You put one thumb gently on the upper teeth, front, one thumb on the lower teeth. Use your biceps, not your jaw, and just take a deep breath and just separate it till it's comfortable. A little bit, push a little bit beyond comfort zone. I let it go. Take a deep breath. Do it again. One thumb on the top teeth, one thumb on the bottom teeth, and everyone's like, my hands are dirty. <laughs> Push it up. And release it. That kind of isometric thing, you cannot, if you do it just by muscles, you can't release it, it gets tight. I mean, using the jaw muscles. You have to use an external energy source. And what you do is you push past that tightness point and it actually releases afterwards. Is that over time? Yeah, we did it a couple times a day. And again, awareness. Yeah. Three times. I'll do three times. Push a little bit beyond. Don't tear it. Push a little bit beyond what's comfortable and let it go and feel what it feels like. That's like with any kind of spasm, you, you push a little bit beyond it, but you have to use an external source. Now, a little beyond the mouth or the jaw? The jaw, the comfort of the jaw. I mean, some people's jaws are so tight that they actually can't open it, right? They can't open more that much. It's a very common thing. The other thing is you can find the trigger points externally and squeeze the hell out of them, and that hurts. And it's usually right in this area, right? But every, everyone has this. I mean, like very few people don't have... And feel the emotions that come up. I mean, gr- grab, grab your thumbs, dig into your jaw, and see what it feels like. Your thumbs, just, yeah, not. <laughs> feel it. Sometimes it's grief, sometimes it's anxiety, sometimes it's anger. You feel that? Feel the energy in the room right now. Went from a bunch of Seventh day Adventists to. NRA shooting. <laughs> feel how that brought the energy in the chest? You feel the chest stuff? That's anxiety. Okay, can you guys feel that? Good question there. Yes? Do you have any tips for that moment when you just want to just get out of meditation? Yeah. The last thing you want, your feet are going to sleep, your yeah. back hurts. Yeah. Shortness of breath. Yeah. So. That's the deepest part of the anxiety. Change your posture and stay with it. Open the feet. Something that's comfortable. Like right now, actually put your legs out because we don't usually sit this way that long. Just kind of do a little bit of stretch. But that's actually the time where the the most beautiful time to observe that thing. Make it as comfortable as you can without losing connection with that anxiety. And remember, I actually tell people, if you're not a regular meditator, five minutes, man. Five minutes. Start with five minutes. Stay with five minutes for a while. It's just, I mean, we're together now, so see how that five minute went really quick, and then that ten minute went really quick. But, you know, sometimes ten minutes feels like a lifetime. And, and there's a willpower thing too, right? So there's like, it's not about just willing through this thing either. I mean, make have a relationship with it. Yes? Question? That's a lot of people. So you realize, so the question was, what do you say to someone 
who sits 5 to 20 minutes a day and constantly still gets overwhelmed by anxiety. First, the first thing I would say is like, awesome that you're sitting. More power to you. The second thing I would say is we're all anxious. It's just a matter of becoming aware of it. And that sitting shifts the relationship. So can you sit there in that 5 minutes or 20 minutes and not run away from it? If you can do that, you're ahead of most people. Most people can't even sit and have a relationship with it. Remember what we talked about. The meditation changes the relationship. It doesn't necessarily make the anxiety go away. But understand that there are people who can't get out of bed because of their anxiety and have to be medicated. I mean, half the drug addicts that I know or drug addicts because they're actually so anxious that they can't function without a couple of drinks or shooting something or that's what it is, you know. It is the human experience. Now, why do we do this? The future is not predestined. We create the future through our awareness. As uncomfortable as that awareness is, your relationship with it allows you to be a mistress, a master of your destiny. Literally. You're not in automatic mode. But in my experience, if you sit with it regularly, the relationship changes. It becomes less and less powerful. Meaning the anxiety on you. Make sense? Now, certain things affect us, right? I mean, diet's a part of that. The breath stuff, like pranayama is amazing. For some people, cooling breath is helpful. Alternate nose breathing can be very helpful. And play around. There's techniques that actually make it easier to sit in that. For me, I actually have a pranayama practice and then I sit. Alternate nose, just 15 counts, withholding, kapalvati, and some uh, shitali. But that's it. I don't really, I'm not a yoga practitioner. Then I sit. So breath is really helpful. The next question, somebody raise the hand there. Go ahead. Um, what if your anxiety happens mostly in the middle of the night? Mm, that's, that's actually a big one. That's a lot of us. So what happens if your anxiety happens in the middle of the night? Does it wake you up? This person that you know that has anxiety in the middle of the night? <laughs> um, yeah. So... For myself, at those times, actually, when I have anxiety, I actually get and sit with it for a couple of minutes. I get up and sit with it for a couple of minutes. I actually get it out of bed. It's like that crazy-ass lover that came home with the knife. You're like, let's sit down and have a conversation, sweetheart. I can see you've been hitting the bottle again. So we sit down and have a conversation. It's not like, yeah, I got it. fine. No. These parts of our psyche are beckoning for our attention. Without getting too poetic about it. It's really real. They're like, and like I've said to you, it starts with that, and then it becomes, and then it's like, the behavior gets, so have a relationship with it. And then, this isn't me. Yes, um, really, yeah. My my mother has been told that she has sleep apnea. Yes. And so she wakes up exhausted. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, apnea is actually a pretty serious disorder that can kill you. So, sleep apnea, one of the things that I've actually found very helpful, there's all these like very high tech equipment. It helps some people, some don't. There's stuff you can buy for like five bucks that actually juts the, the just mouthpieces. You can buy them online, 10 bucks. 
Most of the apnea is because as you get older, the palate gets soft and it collapses on itself. So if you get the lower jaw to jut out, you get more air through. That's a different issue than anxiety. You're just basically choking there. I mean, you might be anxious or not, but apnea is serious business. I mean, it shortens your lifespan. So if you get more air in there, you guys should sleep better. But, you know, most people don't deal with it. No. Apnea is actually a medical condition. But well, yes, yes. I was going to say that because I'm an acupuncturist, but yeah, acupuncture on the jaw is really helpful. For tight, jaw tightness is very helpful. Somebody raise their hands back there. Go ahead. Um, what do you do about things that come up while meditating, like memories? You know, depending who you listen to, in my experience, when these things come up, they're being released. They're actually being released. So you come back to the awareness. Well, it depends. I mean, if you have no feelings attached to them, they keep coming up over and over, it's probably something repressed. If they come up once in a while, no. Those of you who know me, I'm a big believer in therapy. It's not, I'm not one of these people that meditation is not going to cure everything. Sometimes you meditate, you have these memories, and you have to go to therapy. But I know people who have been in therapy for 20 years where nothing's shifted. So again, it depends where you are in your process. I feel like they all have to be addressed. It's not just that or that. But meditation just makes awareness come up. It's not a cure-all for things. Which most people don't realize, by the way, right? Most people are either or. Do therapy, forget meditation, do meditation. It's, it's everything. No, question. Is it okay to meditate lying down or sitting? You can do it lying down. The trick is keeping the spine straight because that just keeps the awareness. But a lot of people fall asleep when they lie down. But not at all. Do it in a chair. Like for a lot of people, you know, you don't have to, there's no specific benefit for having your legs crossed. It's just because people have no chairs. I find for a lot of Westerners, keep your feet flat on the ground. That's a big thing if you're sitting because that shoots the energy up. Yes? So in your book, you talk about like, you know, facing death and part of it giving us, part of that, you said two things like meditating is the closest way to death, but also you should lie down to live in a plank like position. Right, so that, right, so. Meditation is a form of facing death on a daily level. That's why it's so difficult. Meditation is a dying, right? Because everything slows down. But that process of actually practicing dying, I would actually say act as if you're dying. <clears throat> so most people, unless you have a heart attack and you're driving and you wad the car and take a couple of people out, I mean, you're, you're laying down dying. That's how most people that I observe die, unless it's a very traumatic thing. So that practice is actually to feel the feelings that come up around dying. All of a sudden, you know, you haven't talked to your mother for a while. Like, I gotta love this woman. I, I gotta connect with her. Like, I hate this woman. I can't believe I gotta go see her for the holidays again, or whatever. It's to feel those feelings. Those of you who've done hallucinogenic journeys, ayahuasca, you know that's why it's so difficult. Because it's dying. Right? So it brings up all these feelings of dying. Yeah. Which things? Do I have a, do I have experience, do I have a uh, view on them? Yeah. yeah, it's very interesting. Like my own training, I was trained as a shaman. So I experienced those things. The experience of dying on ayahuasca is not the same as the experience of dying. It'll give you a taste of it because there's an eye that's experiencing it. Let me see if I can put it into these words. When you have a DMT or ayahuasca experience, there's a beginning, there's an end. The actual experience is just suchness, is isness. I don't know how else to say it in words. So it's a close, I think it can be very helpful for people if they have a strong container. Many people don't have a strong container. 
What do I mean by that? If your ego is strong, you can dismantle it and put it back together. The other thing is most people go to these things as an addictive thing. So when I did it, my teacher would make us fast for a week. You'd go in a freaking dark room for eight hours. By yourself and the door would be locked. It wasn't like hanging out with a group of people. And you shit yourself. People come out and tell them, man, I had like three ayahuasca experiences this weekend. It was so great. It's like, I don't know what you were doing. It wasn't ayahuasca. Because the ego can use anything to check itself out. To check out from, from the experience. So I'm not for or against anything. My question is, what is the intention of doing it? A lot of people want to get high. Like to me, having done that experience, I'm very grateful for those experiences. Meditation, meditation is much more difficult than that. To sit my ass down 20 minutes every day is much more difficult. And I don't see people's neuroses really changing from those experiences. Rarely do I see that. And the other thing I'll tell you, as a psychic freak, when you are in a room with a bunch of people you don't know and you have these hallucinatory experiences, your energetic body is wide open to them. You're picking up all kinds of bullshit. It's not a joke, this stuff, huh? People are wide open, they have an experience, and they have nightmares about what's going on. These energetic things are real. I'm not saying that, remember, 5%, and I'm being generous, of electromagnetic phenomena is visible. So you also have to be conscious. Who's the ayahuascaro? Does she or he really know the songs, which helps you journey? The other thing about these, the last thing I want to say about it is that they take a lot out of you. When you're doing a hallucinogenic experience, when you smoke pot, the reason you get high, what do we say? You get high. Why? Because you have a viewpoint that your normal ego function doesn't have, right? There's a price to be paid for that out of your energetic body. Those things aren't free. Your body's energy is being burnt up at a higher rate, so you can have access to information you normally don't have. So that's also part of it. So for me, it's pretty mind-blowing. People work like a 9 to 5, five days, and they jump on a train and go upstate, and two hours later, they're in ceremony. It's like, crazy. Finally, if you're 20 years old and you're like built like a brick shit house and you can do that and come back and rest. So, again, we're, we're addicts. So I'm not for or against anything. For me, it was definitely helpful. I had an experience on ayahuasca. I had an experience without ayahuasca. They weren't really the same thing, but one kind of prepared me, but it didn't. But I see people before and after ceremony and they always go, you're against meds. I'm like, because I don't really see you shifting. My intention is like, is it going to shift you? You're dropping 10 grand energetically every time you have an experience like that. You know why all of your lower backs hurt? My lower back hurts? Because we're exhausted. It's adrenals. It's the re- reflex points for adrenals. You had a question? Yeah. Um, vertigo. Okay. Is that stress-related? Is that something that meditation might help? Well, vertigo is really tricky. So vertigo, again, can be inner ear issues. In Chinese medicine, the energy going the wrong way. Grounding work can really help it. Certain foods can really help it. Um, Acupuncture can be helpful. Craniosacral work can be very helpful. Shiatsu can be very helpful. Sometimes, a lot of times, the vertigo is about releasing these muscles, the SCM muscles, the back, the neck, and shoulders. So I would kind of play around with that. Or it can be an inner ear infection, which then you really have to address that. But if those have been ruled out, yeah. But I, w- I would definitely do some energetic work around it. Hand in the back. About what? Doubt. Okay, what about doubt? Um, would you suggest working with it in the same way you work with anxiety? Um, I think if we don't have doubt, we're idiots. I love doubt. Because I'm a control freak my whole life, I try not to have doubt. And I realize doubt's the healthiest thing I could have. People that don't have doubt scare me. That's how you have fascism. 
You gotta doubt everything. Entertain all possibility, believe nothing. Entertain all possibility, believe nothing. Entertain all possibility, believe nothing. Belief system is what gets people to kill people. That's religion. It's not working too well for us, is it? Questions? Yes. How do you distinguish between letting go, relaxing, and dullness? Mm, great one. Obviously, it's something that you have to experience for yourself, but pretty much everything in this culture is about dumbing and dulling. And the letting go part, there's actually more aliveness afterwards. The dullness, the energy drops. Right? So I have this experience. I get up, have a cigarette, have a coffee. That's a dullness. Even I feel like really like this, internally I'm not as tuned in. The sitting there and feeling that, I actually feel more connected. It's more fiery. Um, but that's something you actually have to answer for yourself. Certain behaviors. And remember, meditation can actually be a form of... I wrote this in a book. There was a guy I used to treat back in the day. Back in the Great Depression when I was younger. Um, and he was an addict. And he had started doing this third eye meditation. And the guy was committed. I mean, only addicts can do this, you know, like three hours a day. I'm going to sit there, boom, boom, boom. And he started having these really crazy psychic things. These energy centers are real. You manipulate them. You can have experiences. And I was like, dude, like, you're checking out. I'm meditating. He got to the point where he actually was hospitalized. But it was really, like, wild watching this man unravel. And it was really him doing it. He didn't have, you know, I've worked with schizophrenics. People have issues. I've worked with people who have openings. He forced himself to have a breakdown. By just, and he was like really strong. Obviously, he had psychic sort of energy in there. But he was just hammering this thing hours and hours. And again, that's a dullness. So under like the guise of, I'm meditating. It's good, right? It's not good. He was hearing things, seeing future events. Wonderful. By the way, did you catch this whole thing with uh, opera, this whole neutrino thing they're in Switzerland? They basically shoot a neutrino, 750 kilometers, I believe. And they're thinking that it's actually reaching this destination before light. Which actually means that we can create and affect the past through the present. Crazy shit. Some yogis talked about this a while back. And it's just so weird. This is a part of our culture. We're so hypnotized. Ourselves, our politics, our science, the same thing. But we can't open up to these things. That basically means that in the moment you can affect the past. Scientifically. Right? I mean, this quantum stuff is really weird. So this neutrino, if it's, I mean, it just blows away all of Einstein's stuff. It's actually faster than the speed of light. By like, you know, boom, 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 point oh second. But it's pretty wild stuff. Read up on this stuff. It's really neat. It's like blowing the whole thing up. But no one talks about it because it's too weird. There's a document called Faster Than the Speed of Light. Yes. aren't meant to des- aren't designed to answer those things sometimes they do because sometimes a lot of things are stress related and just general relaxation can affect it 
But the function of these things is what Maslow used to say. You know, if, if the only tool you have is a hammer, every problem becomes a nail. Well, that problem isn't a nail. If you have a hammer in your hand and these problems are nails, they'll hit it. But PMS is like, it can be brutal, it can stop your life, but you gotta try different things. Try herbs, try homeopathy, try acupuncture. That's the thing about meditation. We think it's like gonna answer things. That was definitely my thing. If I sort it out enough spiritually, I have all these questions like, coffee's still three bucks and I still gotta pay my rent. And it's yin and yang. They're not the same thing, apples and oranges. So for some people, yes, they sit two minutes and everything is like their body because it was all stressed. For some people, it's more complicated. Vertigo or tightness in the jaw or always, I mean, it's a great question. Always see, like, what is your intention? And is this the right tool for the job? This is the problem with spirituality. Most spiritual practices came from under-individuated cultures, East, to a hyper-individuated culture, the U.S., Europe. That in itself is very weird. You with me on that one? Like, what are we all doing? Asanas, forms, martial arts. So we go through the thing that makes us even more individuated. It's the other way around. Yes? How do you create a relationship with repressed anger? Ooh. If you can't even... How do you, how do you have a relationship with repressed anger? If you can't even feel it or see it, but you know it's there. You know it's there. And it's creating constant anxiety. So... In my own experience, there's no right or wrong. Deep body work or body-centered therapy can be very helpful. So what I mean by body-centered psychotherapy, like people that actually are going to rub your stomach, the feelings come up, core energetic type stuff, that can be really helpful. Not that I know anything about repressed anger, but I've read about it. (laughs) Does that answer your question? Oh, yeah. It's called heroin. Um, What? Body work. Well, not body work. Bo- body work centered psychotherapy. Not just body work. Because body work, you can do raw thing. It can pour the stuff out. What do you do with it? You actually need to work with someone who works with the psych- psychological aspect of it while bringing the feelings up. The thing with repressed emotions is, there's three things we do with emotions. Repress them, act them out. The third is to feel them, which nobody does. Most people repress it or act it out, right? Ah! I'm not angry. But to, to, you have to actually feel it first to be able to release it. So just to get body work without some kind of therapeutic... If you're strong enough, which you are, that might be enough. But for most people, they need some kind of container. Because you have to understand it here, you have to understand it here. And that's all of us. We all have repressed issues. Our fascia holds it. Part of this fear of dying leads to character armor development. What do I mean by character armor? These specific postures that we have are character armors. Which is why you can get rolfed and lose your shit. Which is why you can have deep tissue work and lose your shit. Why you can do deep asanas and lose your shit. How many of you have done postures where you split open and open your thighs and your inner thighs? And all these emotions come up. Character armor. And you need a certain amount of character armor. So this is this understanding like you just got to blow this shit open. No, that's called schizophrenia. Schizophrenics are incredibly vibrant and creative. They can't function in the world. So you need a certain amount of character armor. The question is, is character armor going to choke you? I can't be butt naked. I'm going to get arrested outside. So can I just wear these clothes or am I going to wear like something made out of lead? It's not lead, but not butt naked. There's this illusion in our culture. Spirituality rip everything out and run around naked. There is this danger. So you have to approach this stuff like a loaded shotgun. They have to be addressed. To live fully, you have to address them. It's not that it's repressed anger and it's causing havoc in your life. It's also stop. It's your life force. It's your life force that's being repressed. 
But you have to just very gingerly approach it. Any questions? I have one. I mean, you, you addressed the thing about um, memories coming up. Yes. Oftentimes when I said, like, just stupid stuff will come up, like grocery lists, because just that sort of bullshit. So, like... Anxiety. Yeah. Well, I mean... You just, you, so, so you literally observe it, take a mental note, and go back to your body. Go back to your breath. They're not bullshit things. I mean, they're just defense mechanisms, and they're also just life. As you clear this stuff up, what ends up happening is like crazy stuff pops up. Something happened 22 years ago. Groceries from 22 years ago. It's like, <laughs> it's wild. And you're sitting there, you're going like, what the fuck was that? Let it go and you come back. But it's just a level. In Chinese martial arts, you have this stuff called bone marrow washing. And, you know, I never really understood it, even though I did it for years. And you kind of like, I guess I'm washing my bone marrow. into these kinds of crazy postures. So very recently, I realized actually what you're doing with that stuff is allowing this old repressed stuff all those stuff to come up to be healed. It's not like the physical, it, but your marrow actually holds emotions. So you do this body work and shit gets released and then you go a little bit deeper and you do breath work. Actually your marrow, it's like that's how deep this shit goes. And it is shit. We repress emotions, we act them out. The two ways that most of us deal with this culture, lastly just to feel them. So that's the part of the gift of the meditation too. It allows them to come up, you feel them. Last question. What did you mean about how in the West, the individuation, in the East, unindividuated, and then you said the end is the other way around, as opposed to all these individual asanas? When you... Big question. Okay, so, I was a kid, I was raised in India for a while, right? In India, you've got thousands and thousands and thousands of people. It's changing now because India is getting individuated. In the West, everybody here has very specific identities, dressed differently, ideas of self, hyper-individuated. Yeah. place like India, where these... But it can, we can go to Japan. Being individuated wasn't considered cool. That was like a no-no. The emperor is individuated. Fuck the rest of you servants. So what are you doing with yoga? You got eight limbs in yoga. You got eight limbs in martial arts. What is the most popular thing in America? Asanas. What do asanas do? They open your body, but they also were for a culture that wasn't really individuated to give some individuation. We take the limb that's the most ego-based and practice that. I mean, no one goes, man, I'm doing this great pranayama class this weekend. We're doing six hours of pranayama. <laughs> Once in a while you get that. Rarely. Man, we're going to do like eight hours. Of like No. Same with martial arts. You got meditation, you got herbs, but like the form is just one thing. Everyone knows the form. Feels good. Body's strong. But it's not the softness. So that's what I mean by hyper-individuated. There's a reason asanas. Now... Certain schools, like here, it's very different because they're not, they're actually are cognizant of the fact. But that's rare. That's rare. I mean, you know, I race motorcycles. I treat more fucked up people from yoga than my racing buddies. 30 years, 40 years. I treat serious injuries. More than martial arts. Why? Hyper-individual ego takes hold of an asana, destroys itself. So what is our intent? What is our intent with this stuff? What are we trying to do? Obviously, if you break the character armor down with yoga, you're going to feel better. Obviously, you have more access. But there's got to be somebody home to feel that. I don't see a lot of people home. I do here, but I don't see a lot of people home generally. And you're here, why? I mean, who in their right freaking mind comes here on a Monday night and wants to sit with anxiety? <laughs> you're, you're all tweaked a little bit to begin with. <laughs> You already have some questioning, like, okay, I'm feeling that, but remember, we're in a minority, and not good or bad, but that's our culture. 
let's sit five minutes before we go out. And then after that, get up quietly and keep that posture and you'll be enlightened. I'll send your diplomas in the mail tomorrow. So, this time I don't want to guide you during, so let's just go through this while we're sitting. Just to recap what we did. Start from the top of your head, hanging from a string from the top of your head. Beautiful. Lift from the base of your skull. Some of you men especially drop your chin down. Men seem to be more heady. So our chin goes up because we're so full of shit. Bring your chin down a little bit. I was talking about myself, not you. Don't take it personally. Beautiful. Shoulders relaxed. We lift from the breastbone, keeping the shoulders down. Top of the head, back of the neck. Breastplate open. Coming down, pointing with the finger. Beautiful. Feel the energy in the room right now. Soften the breath. Relax the butt, the anus, the lower legs. Be here now.
keep your awareness really feel your feet as you leave you're all really open right now ground yourself as you go outside this wonderful studio of ours I'll see you next year where we'll talk about grinding your teeth and drilling without Novocaine (laughs) 